Um, for our scripture reading today, uh, I have a bunch of different scriptures from the Gospel of Luke that I've kind of strung together. Um, and today's sermon is uh, really borrowed heavily from a sermon I heard years ago from Rob Bell uh, called Willing the One Thing. And the idea is based in no small part on uh, Soren Kierkegaard's quote, great quote, and book entitled, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Uh, Kierkegaard said that. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And James says, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's this idea in Scripture that purity of heart, purity of intention, is central central to the fullness of the human life. Uh, so you can remain seated for the Scripture readings today, because I, I don't know how long they'll take. And, uh, but you can stand in your heart. How's that? Is that good? <laughs> so... And these are all from the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> beginning in chapter 4, verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And then Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That verse is based in no small part on Isaiah's text, where he says, I have set my face like flint. Have you ever heard that? And that's the language there echoes Isaiah, that Jesus set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. And then in Luke 13, and by the way, there are more of these. I have handpicked a few, but if you read the whole Gospel of Luke, you begin to see a pattern. Luke 13, 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Luke 13, 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. And then Luke 17, 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Do you catch the theme here? On his way to Jerusalem. Jesus, Luke 18, 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. 
In Luke 19, 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus leaves the crowds. Did you catch that? Jesus leaves the crowds. This goes against what all evangelical pastors that I know would ever do. Preachers are prone to go, we want more and more people. Right? If only there were more people, bigger churches, better churches, right? But Jesus leaves the crowds. And he has just healed a bunch of people and cast out a bunch of demons. And then he goes off by himself to a solitary place and the crowd follows him. And then what does he do? He leaves again. He says, I've got to go somewhere else. I've got this good news to share, and I have to share it with other people. Now, it's not in the text, but do you think that anyone in the crowd was disappointed that day? Do you think there were people that said, but we need you, Jesus. You haven't healed my grandmother yet. Do you think that there was still ministry to do in that town? Yes. Were there still people to be healed? Yes. Was there still teaching to be done? Yes. Jesus walks away from good ministry. It's interesting. You know the term the Messiah, a Messiah complex? It's interesting to me, quite interesting to me, that the Messiah apparently does not have a Messiah complex. Oh, but they need me. They need me. They need me. <laughs> I can't leave. No. Jesus is able to walk away from very good, important things. What enables Jesus to say no? We're in this sermon series called Calling. And Jesus knows His calling. And when you know what you are called to, when you have said yes, it makes it so much easier to say no. When you know what your yes is, then it, it makes it really easy. Well, maybe not really easy, but it makes it easier to say no. And you all have heard this before. The good is often the enemy of the best. Right? And we can fill our plates to overflowing with so much good stuff that we don't hear the still small voice we don't separate ourselves what does it say about jesus incarnate of god son of god jesus got away to a solitary place i would say he needed to if you if you want if you track the gospels it's always after jesus goes to a solitary place that then he does something new something significant happens there'll be a, a shift in his, in his ministry. He'll call the disciples. or he'll, You see what I'm saying? I believe Jesus got away to get clarity. To hear God, His Heavenly Father, 
speaking a new yes into his life so that he could say no to other things. Anytime we choose something, we're choosing not to do a thousand other things, right? You have to say yes before you can say no. Jesus knew his mission. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed to Jerusalem. People would say, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. They're trying to kill you. I'm going to Jerusalem. And he would walk away from crowds of people who needed him. Why? Because I am here for a greater purpose. I'm going to Jerusalem to die and to rise again. You and I have limited energies. You and I have limited time, limited money, limited energies, um, limited capacities, and we have to choose how we are going to invest our limited energies that we are given by God. Would you agree? Yeah. So, and, and this is hard. Um, we got to go to an out-of-darkness benefit this week, which was wonderful. Um, and some of you supported it financially, and some of you came. It was great. It was amazing. And it's a great cause, Out of Darkness, trying to rescue women out of the sex trafficking industry in middle Georgia. And it was great. I loved it. I walked home with four different business cards in my pocket from other ministries. <laughs> hey, Pastor, I want to tell you about this. I want to tell you about this. I want to tell you about this. All really good. Really good. And I'm tugged because I go, oh, I want to support that too. I want to support that too. I want to support that too. But guess what? I can't do everything. And I can feel a lot of guilt. And, and then sometimes people will even put guilt on you. Why, well, you're, you're a pastor. Where have you been? One day I went to visit the nursing home and the, one of the workers there said, well, where have you been? <laughs> and I thought, let me tell you. Right? But people can put a guilt trip on you, right? Even if you're not a pastor, people can put a guilt trip on you because the implication is that word should. You should, you should. And maybe they're right, you should. Somebody should. But you and I are limited. And so we must know what we are called to do. And when you know what you're called to do, so instead of what should I do with the load of guilt, instead... What is God inviting me to do? It might be that that business card that somebody handed me, they're passionate about it because that's their calling. And maybe I am being called to give some money or to give some time or to partner, to get this church to partner with it. But even the church, we can't do everything. And that's, do you see how that can feel hard when the need in front of you is obvious? You should care. You should care about children. You should care about women. You should care about, uh, you know, right, yeah, yeah, amen. But we are limited. And so Jesus, I'm lifting up today that Jesus, I believe, is our model of someone who knew his calling and then was able to say no to even good things because he had a greater yes. But, so we have to be able, we have to say yes sometimes in order to say no. We also have to say no sometimes in order to hear our yes. 
I'll never forget, I had this woman in a prior church who was one of my key volunteers. Y'all better not do this. I'm, not, I'm telling you now, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to say this out loud. But she came up to me and she said, Tom, I need to resign from all my positions. I'm just doing too much. And, and I know that if I don't stop first, I'm not going to be able to hear what God might be calling me to do. I mean, that was a pain for me. I had, you know what I mean? I had, now i got more work to do. So, by the way, that's a terrible example. Don't any of you do that, okay? Don't do that. The Lord is not speaking to you right now, okay? You just keep on. But sometimes we have to say no. We have to clear our plate in order to hear, or clear our plate some. So another example from the life of Christ. Sometimes, when we think about our lives and our relationships, how many of us, we seem to accumulate more and more and more relationships. More and more context. The social media, unbelievable, right? Like, we can be connected to hundreds and even thousands of people. But the relationships, we have more and more relationships of less and less depth and intimacy. But if you look at Jesus... How many people was Jesus in ministry to? Well, we know one big number was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So, on the one hand, Jesus was in ministry to thousands of people. But, he went away from the crowd. And so then, there's one text that says, at the resurrection, the 500 gathered. So there's, there's some concentric circle that Jesus was in ministry to that was 500. More devoted, you know, more like serious followers maybe, disciples. And then another time, Jesus sends out the 70 or the 72. And so there was a group within the 500 that was the 70. And he sends them out two by two to proclaim the kingdom, Right? And then there's a smaller circle you may have heard of called the Twelve, right? And so he, he chooses Twelve, and he primarily spends most of his time with the Twelve. Question, do you think there was any amongst the sixty that were not chosen to be the Twelve? Do you think there was any grumbling or complaining? Oh no, they were just like, oh that's great, you know, we're just happy to... Of course, yes, they're just like me and you. Well, why wasn't I picked, right? Do you think Jesus dealt with grumbling and complaining? How about this? Within the twelve, is there a smaller circle? Yes. Jesus often gets away with just three. Peter, James, and John. Now, you know. <laughs> you know. I mean, over and over again. All right, you guys, Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me. Y'all stay and cook, cook some supper or something. All right. You know good and well that Thomas and Bartholomew and Nathaniel and, you know, the other Simon. <laughs> I'm the other Simon, known as the Zealot. You know there was just jealousy, frustration, and probably some positive, I want to be included, FOMO, fear of missing out, Right? And you ne but you never see Jesus apologizing for this, do you? No. You never see Jesus saying, oh, I'm so sorry. No. 
he understands. He intuitively understands and he models in his life, in his ministry, in the way he carries himself, that you have to actually go smaller and smaller, not bigger and bigger. And so, what does this mean for us? You have limited energies. You have limited time. You cannot invest your life, or I guess you, you can choose to try to invest your life in a hundred different things. But I believe most of us are called to one or two or maybe three things that we specifically focus on. Jesus knew he was going to Jerusalem, and we're about to come to this table and celebrate the Eucharist. And the Eucharist, the word Eucharist, means good gift. It means thanksgiving um, or good grace. And, and what this means is Jesus takes bread and he breaks it, and he gives it away, and he takes this cup and he pours it. Yeah, and, and so it's this symbol of Jesus' body being broken and His blood being poured out. That was Jesus' one thing. He was called to be broken and poured out for the salvation and the healing of all of the world. And so in the same way, we come to this table because you are invited to be a follower of Christ. You are invited to also Break yourselves open and pour yourselves out to whatever God is calling you to. Like Paul says, I have been poured out as a drink offering. This is an image that the Christians use and draw upon. We are meant to give ourselves away, to spend and to be spent in ministry, in humble service, in a Eucharist, in a good gift, a breaking open, a pouring out, and a giving ourselves away. Howard Thurman says, Do not ask what the world needs. Instead, ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs are people who are alive. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs are men and women who are not dead on the inside, who are alive. And you can't be alive if you're trying to please everybody and you're trying to do all the things and meet all the needs. A good friend of mine is a higher up at Netflix. He's most likely to succeed in my high school and he definitely won the prize <laughs> he is he's traveling the world uh globally with netflix and i was talking to jimmy one day and uh we were talking he used to work at amc when they did the walking dead i've never seen walking dead i am a loser i apologize i know many of you are huge walking dead fans i can see my audience here is all but uh no none maybe at the second service there will be some but here's the thing. Jimmy said this to me. I've never forgotten. He says, Tom, you know why I think zombies are making this big comeback? And have y'all noticed there's just zombie movies? There's even zombie kid shows. I mean, there's zombie cartoons. Zombies, zombies, zombies. And he says, I really think it's because we all feel like zombies now in our culture. He says, I think we're sitting in front of computer screens and the emails just keep coming. And it's like zombies. Like the zombies are the undead. And so life feels like this zombie apocalypse. I mean, I, I was like, this guy's deep. He says, I think that's why we, like, we, we kind of are able to escape by watching a zombie movie or a zombie show because in actuality, most of our 
adult life now, it's kind of like a zombie movie. And see, that's not the calling. The calling is not to be undead. The calling is to be fully alive. And so Jesus knows his one thing. My question for you and for me as we come to this table is, what's your one thing or your two things? Yes, there are seasons of life that are busier than others. Yes, there are seasons of life where we've poured ourselves into something, but what if maybe it's time for you to let, us, let something go? Because God may be inviting you to pour yourself into something new. Or maybe you've overcommitted and overextended yourself. And it's time for you to say, these are good things. These are great things. But what am I called to? What am I called to? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the example of your son. Thank you that he, he's, uh, Lord, I know I would have been, it would have been so hard for me to walk away from a crowd of people with real needs and go to Jerusalem. But Lord, you, for the joy set before you, endured the cross, scorning the shame, so that we, so that I, so that we all might be forgiven and healed and transformed. Lord, thank you so much for hearing your calling for breaking yourself open, pouring yourself out, and giving yourself away. Lord, as we come to this table, we are broken. Many of us are empty. Many of us are depleted. Lord, fill us up. Fill us up. And God, I ask that you also would break us open and allow us to be poured out not for us, but for your will, for what you're calling us to do. So that we also might be a good gift, a good grace. That we might be your body redeemed by your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.